uh, I always feel, I've said this many times, that the problem is that many people observe a Chag superficially. I mean, it's really superficial, if you think about that, you know. Most people, I'm not, I'm not in any way saying putting it down, but, you know, I, I would think that it would be fabulous to get into a Chag much more into its premiums. But, you know, so Hanukkah becomes the Hanukkah lights, and then, of course, there's everybody's into the latkes and Sufganiyot, whatever is going on, you know. Uh, I, I would think that there's much more to Hanukkah, and the truth is there's much more to every Chag. In fact, the only real way to observe a Chag is to understand its premiums. Then you enter the, what's called the Shefa of the Chag, the real influence that the Chag is all about. And in that way, you, when you do the mitzvahs of that Chag, it's much greater. So uh, there's no comparison. So that's why I thought that to speak about Hanukkah in its premiums, you know, uh, not just latkes, uh, I think would be a, a, a great contribution to the ability of people to really observe the Chag. <coughs> um, so, the question, uh, there's, there's a series of questions that I'd like to ask, which in many ways dramatizes what, what is uh, Hanukkah about, really? First idea, uh, first question is, well, what is the premise of the Chag? I mean, other than the historical event, which we all know, right? What exactly is the premise of the Chag? What does it really mean? Uh, why is there Hanukkah? And why was it uh, so great? Why did Chazal make it uh, uh, a, a fundamental um, holiday, Yom Tov, for Klai Yisrael? If you think about it, you know, Klai Yisrael was saved many times. I mean, the whole history of the Jews is basically either persecution, persecutions at one point, being saved at the other, right? So the question is, um, <coughs> what's the premius? That's the first question. Uh, the second question is, uh, how did Chazal know when to make a holiday? It's an interesting question. Like I say, the whole history of the Jewish people is basically the persecution or salvation, one or the other. So, uh, you know, if that was the case, we'd have a Chag every day. Maybe it's not a bad idea. You know, because uh, whatever, that, whatever the Chag means, food and drink and all that kind of stuff, you know. However, obviously uh, that can't be, because uh, there's not many Chagim, according to the Rabbanan, you know, we have Hanukkah, we have Purim, uh, we have the uh, fast days, we have Tishabov, which is one of the fast days and so on. But there are not many, obviously, so clearly they had to have some kind of guidelines, right? That and know what makes a Chag, and when don't you have to make it a Chag? It's an important idea. <clears throat> then you have the questions of the halachas. What most people don't realize is the halachas are not arbitrary. The halachas is the continuation of the premise of the Chag. In other words, you'll find that there are two fundamental ideas in every Chag. There's what's called a primary historical event. There's an event which is primary. That's what kicks off the Chag. But what really happens is that Klai uh, Yisrael has to accomplish specific, specific spiritual tasks. Very important idea. An individual has certain spiritual tasks, tikkun, to bring the Rosham back. And the Jewish people in general, as a nation, have spiritual tasks. Okay. And these tasks, you can just 
sure. Oh, and in, in any case, the the uh, uh, so the Jewish nation accomplishes these spiritual tasks. How? Because what the Roshim does is he creates an event, and that event puts Klai Yisrael into a matzav nisoyin. Interesting, or some type of a uh, position or situation, and it is that situation which forces them to choose. Hopefully, the choice will be correct, and the correct choice is the tikkun itself. Uh, so the real tikkun of Klai Yisrael, in terms of the, the, the Jewish people as a nation, is a historical event. And that event is called a primary historical event, which is the primary tikkun method of that spiritual task which they have to accomplish. It's very important, I'm giving you now a formula how to evaluate every uh, idea, every, every uh, chad. <clears throat> if Klai Yisrael fails, or if they succeeded and later on they failed in that very task, so then the Roshim has to give them a second event. It's called a secondary Tikkun event. Okay? And if Klai Yisrael fails that, then what, <clears throat> not the, the, the Roshim, but uh, what, uh, the, um, what the Chazal do is they now give mitzvahs, midrah bonon, and that is the continuity and the completion of that Tikkun necessity. Got the formula? The primary Tikkun event, which is the historical event, there's a secondary Tikkun event, which hopefully can make up for the primary. But if that doesn't work, so then Chazal will incorporate halachas in order to finish, continue and finish the spiritual tasks of the Jewish people. That's the formula. And you can apply that formula to every single Chag, every one. <clears throat> okay? And so on. I'm going to apply it to Hanukkah. And when you do apply to Hanukkah, then you are startled because you see, the di the, you see that the story of Hanukkah is a very different story than most people understand. Okay. Uh, another question that could be asked is, why are there eight days? Now, the historical event was because it took four days to get pure oil. We know that. Well, let me tell you, we know what the event was. Well, let me just say, so why is there eight days? Uh, also, there are mitzvahs where it says you cannot benefit from them. You can you only look at them, but you do not benefit from these, from any of the the oris, the menorah. Why not? Uh, good question. Then, of course, the question is why don't we say halel? I oh, excuse me. Why do we want to have a suda? We say halel, right? We know on Purim we have, of course, we have a suda. Hanukkah has no suda. Instead, it says halel. The question, of course, is why? Clearly, there has to be a very important reason for that in terms of why there is a, a halal instead of a suda. Although I'll tell you, when you get finished with the latkes and the sefganiyot, maybe that is a suda. Yeah. Who knows? I'm sure a lot of people say, well, that's it. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, so you have that. <clears throat> also, why the Greek nation? You know, a lot of nations that uh, could have forced Klai Yisrael to do different things, you know. <clears throat> um, why the Greeks? Why was this event a Greek event, so to speak? Because we know what the story is. <clears throat> now, they may seem, well, it's arbitrary. It just happens to be the <clears throat> Greeks. Or is there something behind the design itself of why it has to be the Greeks? Remember, all of this is a setup, really, in a certain sense. Okay. Um, so we have uh, a, a lot of really different questions 
uh, to answer, uh, besides understanding the, the paradigm, the model, that on Hanukkah has to be something about tikkun, on a na- rectification, on a national level, correct? It has to be that, because that's what we know. So what was Hanukkah all about? The real question you can ask is, is this the primary event? Whatever the spiritual task necessary, was this the primary? Or was this the secondary? Interesting. Also a question which is interesting. <clears throat> what does Hanukkah have to do with the menorah? If you really think about that. <clears throat> what does that mean? That, what that means really... That, well, we know what the event is, right? The event is that the Greeks try to force... Oh, uh, you have chess. The Greeks try to force the Jews, right? To do what? To adopt what's called Hellenism. Now, Hellenism, okay... Is what? It's basically uh, a, a secularized version, or at least that's what they try to do, of Judaism. And the Greeks really wanted to remove the whole religion, that was of course, you know. But certainly they were trying to get the Jews to secularize Judaism. We know that. Clearly what happened was the Jews, because the, the Greeks were in the process of Hellenizing the entire world. In fact, historians consider Alexander, who is really what started the whole business, of Greek uh, modernizing and Hellenizing the world, they consider him the reason why the world is modern. He created this, very interesting, they consider him one of the greatest innovators in, in, in world history because it was the Greeks that got everybody out from what's called antiquity and it was the Greeks that started to modernize the world. You know, you have Greek philosophy, Greek science, there's and theater, literature, and the Greeks were very good in many ways, you know, and then of course you had the the, what do you call it, the, um, Olympics. The, Olymp- the Olympics, of course, you know, I mean, these guys were into everything, you know, um, for a small nation, they were really into everything. It's imagine how far Greece has fallen. Today, when you look at Greece, it looks like the third world uh, banana republic. The third world banana republic, that's what Greece looks like today, that's dis- been destroyed by its debt, you know. Uh, but Greece, in its heyday, was incredible. And the historians credit Alexander the Great, who lived in 330, who died in 333 BCE, it's a long time ago, uh, with modernizing the entire world. Because if you think about it, Rome basically took Greek culture, right? That's why Rome didn't innovate much. <coughs> what Rome did do is spread Greek ideology and philosophy throughout the entire world. <coughs> Rome was the delivery system, and Greece was the machadish. It means it, it was the discoverer the innovator of of tremendous amount of Chochmah. Even Chazal talk about the wise men of Athens. And Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya, he took a man, which is interesting. Uh, the wise men of Athens and so on. Uh, Atuna, Chachmi Atuna, that's Athens. Uh, but in any case, uh, so what Rome did is just pr- it was the delivery system of Greece, Chochmah, you see. But anyway, so they clearly tried to either remove Judaism because they held it was, you know, ancient, primitive, and all that. And they try to modernize that. And, and, and then the Jews who became Hellenists, because they adapted the Greek culture, they did that. They tried to modernize Judaism. And of course, the story we know is, of course, is, uh, it was c- incredibly opposed by Matesio, Matesio with, with the Maccabees, the Maccabee and Shimon Maccabee and, and so on. 
and they gave their lives for that in a, in a certain sense they gave their lives and um, <coughs> and they won incredible and what they did is they won and then after they won and that war took a long time wasn't over and they won and all of a sudden they come to the base of Migdash and of course uh, it was completely defiled by the Greeks and of course they, they found that one vial of oil that can only burn one day and it was because it was toho was pure wasn't contaminated it still had the seal of the Kohen Gadol uh, anyway and then but it would take four days to go to the Galil to purify uh, olives that's how long it took and that's where they got the olives obviously very good quality olives and so on four days there four days back eight days until they got new and, and of course and so on you know uh, so therefore we say therefore so they, therefore they but they didn't care they put in one day and it burned for eight days um, so that's the historical event okay that's fine uh, but is there something beyond the concept of eight days what I'm, I'm saying is that what looks uh, simple to the eye has an incredible panemius but that panemius is really only understood if you understand the whole landscape the scope of Hanukkah okay so you have the, these ideas these questions uh, about Hanukkah itself what's really going on and is there a, a, a process is there a a, a, a a panoramic view a scope right that can tie all this together and give us a beautiful understanding of Hanukkah and the answer is yes uh, that's what I want to do okay first thing to know <coughs> is that it says that the Bansham created the world and embraces and it says that right and it was uh, Arab and it was Arab evening and day and uh, morning uh, one day and it says oh actually it says that before let there be light which means until then darkness dominated whatever the darkness is and then it said let there be light fine and that was on the, uh, the first day Rashi asks well no question uh, there are two types of numbers uh, ordinal and cardinal a cardinal number is one two three four five if you remember your grammar who wants to remember the grammar but anyway an ordinal number is first second third fourth and fifth because it's order indicates order or sequence so therefore the cardinal number it says that by every other day it says it all it uses all ordinal numbers, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth day, and so on. But by the first day, it says Yom Rishon, or Yom Echad, day one. Doesn't say Yom Rishon. So the question is why? Okay, which is a very good question. So Rashi answers that, uh, and he says because on that day there was only one being called Rabban Shalom, and there wasn't anything else. So therefore, Yom Echad, the day of the one. Then from the second, it's a second, third day, and so on. So Yom Echod means the day of the one, which means what? That there was only being Malachim or Kreda on the second day, and therefore it says day one Yom Echod, Yom Shel Echod, the day of one. Okay. But you can really think about that and maybe answer also something and, and say this: Yom Echod not only means that it's a day of one. Because it says that everything was created at the first day, except emerged in the other days. 
So when everything was created, did you see how everything is separate from the Bani Shalom? Or did you see how everything emanates from God? In other words, it was really one day, day of one. Uh, why? Because even though there were trillions of things created on that day, but it emerged in the following days, uh, when you looked at it, you realized everything is part of God. Everything. The Bani gives existence to everything, so therefore everything emanates from the Bani even after he created them. So theoretically or technically, it was really one day, the day of one, which means God, because he's really the only thing that exists. You see? <clears throat> and even though there is everything there, right? But since everything emanates from the Bansham, really it's only one day. Because everything is really, is sort of like a, uh, it's an illusion of existence, but everything emanates from God. There's nothing independent of God. So it's still day of one. What is that concept called? When you see that everything emanates from the Rabbanu Shalom, everything, that the Rabbanu Shalom is behind the existence of everything, that's the or. That is the or of that Pasuk. kim yehi or, let there be light. What kind of light is that? That's not the light that we know, right? Photons. That light that enables us to see. No. That light means a perception. Okay, let there be light. Let there be a perception. You ever hear the statement, you, somebody is describing something to you and you're trying to understand that? He says, well, do you see the light? Means, do you see the hasaga? Do you understand what's happening? Do you comprehend the concept? So that, that all really is the ability to comprehend, to see, to perceive, right? The fact that everything emanates from God. That's what that all is. That's called the Orishan, the first light. It's called the Orhagonas, the concealed light, because God concealed that light. Okay. But the question is, when does that light happen, really? And the answer to understand that, oh, you have to look at the end of the Torah. Okay. That light is the Messianic light. When the Mashiach comes, what he will reveal is the Bria in that perception. All of a sudden, you see the totality of everything. So you see the immediate consequence, but you are able to see its ultimate cause, all the way down to its ultimate cause. That's a to total view of everything. Nothing is concealed. <clears throat> and <clears throat> the Mashiach will use that, or rather that is the messianic light. So besides being the first light and the concealed light, it is also the Messianic light, the Orishan or the Or Mashiach, the Oragonis. Very important concept. And what the Mashiach therefore does <clears throat> is right now we have an understanding of the Bria, right? We understand the mitzvahs and so on, but we don't understand what does the mitzvahs have to do with the Bria. When you put on film, for instance, what does that do to creation? We don't see anything. But the Messianic light reveals everything. It shows how the spiritual, the mitzvahs, emanate from the spiritual worlds and exactly what it does. It also, the f science, it shows that all physical laws, gravity, whatever it is, right, all emanates from the spiritual world, ruchnius. This is what the Mashiach reveals. So the Mashiach doesn't reveal, in a certain sense, doesn't reveal a new Torah. He reveals the same Torah with an unexponential expansion of its comprehension. Very important idea. That is the messianic light. Okay? 
So that's an important idea to know. Now, where is Hanukkah? Is Hanukkah Marumah in the Torah? Is Hanukkah in any way alluded to in the Torah itself? And the answer is yes. There's a famous Ramban that says this, but let me, you have to understand the background. It says the Nisim, the princes of the tribe, they brought korbanas, sacrifices, when they dedicated the temple, the Mishkan, when they dedicated the Mishkan. Okay? Hanukkah Sabayis. Fine. Each one, each of the twelve, brought his own korban, and uh, as a result, and this was at the time of the dedication of the, the, uh, the uh, Mishkan. But Aaron, right, after the Nasim, which is Pashat Nasim, we did that Aaron realized that, wait a minute, what about, why am, why am I not bringing anything? So he had a conclusion, his conclusion was, because God has never forgiven me for my contribution to the Cheto Egel. If you recall, when the Jews saw that Moshe Rabbeinu died, or they thought he would die, right? So they all came running to Aaron Akoyan, and they said, hey, you gotta make us a Egel, right? Or you gotta make us something that's gonna help lead us to Eretz Yisrael. And of course he resisted, but, the, but they obviously threatened him with death. And he obviously said, uh, uh, okay, and he took Ale uh, Shor, uh, which is the, the uh, Kamiya that uh, Moshe Rabbeinu used to raise Yosef from the Nile. He used that, he threw it into the fire, and Ale Shor means arise ox, and out came <coughs> an ox, a calf, you see? So that was the Chet Egel, and it was terrible what the Jews did. It was a, one of the greatest national uh, transgressions or crimes ever committed. And Aaron, obviously, by doing that, you know, obviously it was terrible for him. So Aaron came to the conclusion that the reason why he's not asked to dedicate the temple, I mean the Mishkan, is because the Rosh never forgave him for the Chet Egel. And he had a tremendous Chalisha, tremendous... Uh, weakness, uh, he's gonna faint. Okay, um, how do you say Khalisha in English? What? Downer. A downer. Now nah, it's gotta be a better word than downer. <laughs> Anybody? Not thinking. Discouragement. Yeah, discouragement, despondency, depression. Whatever, any of those words, sadness. But Khalish is worse than, is different than sadness. It's, uh, despair? Yeah, maybe despair. What? Faintness of heart. Faintness of heart, okay. Despondency. Despondency, yeah. Yeah, I said that, but okay. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, because he was not asked to bring it, he figured it's terrible. Why was he despondent, right? Because he got Khalish to sin, which obviously is terrible, you know. I mean, he was one of the contributors, or if not for him, there would have been no calf. Um, so the Bansham appeared to him, and he said, no, no, don't be despondent, whatever. Why? Because you're lighting the menorah, and this is in Parshish Baloischa, which starts off with lighting the menorah. Your menorah will far outlast the Mishkan, and all the Besamikdash. They will be destroyed, but people will still light. You see? Which means when, if the Mishkan, the Besamikdash, if they're all destroyed, there's no more Kabbanis, right? But your lights of the Menorah will go on forever. 
right? So obviously the question is, what do you mean go on forever? When the Mishkan and the Beis Hamikdashes were destroyed, there's no Menorah, right? So that's the end of the Avoida service of Aaron Akoyin and all the Kohanim, right? So what did Moshe mean? So the Ramban says an incredible thing. He says, here is the illusion of the Remes to Hanukkah in the Torah. <coughs> the question is, <coughs> okay, sounds nice, right? It's an illusion to Hanukkah, you know, which means that obviously that the Jews are going to light a menorah, right? Until the Mashiach comes. That's what the Ramban Shem meant. Because even though the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash of the Mishkan is no more lit, but the lighting of the menorah will continue until the end of time. And that, you know, really uh, you know, energized and lifted the spirits of Aaron The question is, what does that mean? Hey, so what? You know what I'm saying? I mean, okay, it's nice. And what the Russian also told them is that the one who will be responsible for the lighting of this menorah by the Jewish people will be a descendant of yours, Matisyoy, Kohen Gadol. Right? He will be the descendant, and therefore, one of your uh, tribe, he will be responsible for having the Jews light the menorah for all time. So in a certain sense, your descendant will restore that ritual or ceremony, whatever, of lighting the menorah. So Arna Khan was mollified, it was pacified, whatever, and um, fine. But the question is, what does that mean? What was the real Khalisha? What was the real despair or the, uh, despondency of Arn? And what was the real lifting of the spirits that the Bansham told him because one of his descendants will be responsible to bring back the lighting of the menorah? What's really going on? Well, the truth is there's a much greater penis. <coughs> I've said this before. When the Jews left Egypt, it wasn't just that they left Egypt. What they had done is they had provided or accomplished the tikkun of the Bria. They rectified creation. That's what they did. <coughs> Through mitzvahs and tshuva and then mostly surin, suffering, the Jews had rectified the sin of Odom Arishan. And when they stood at Har Sinai, the mountain of Sinai, right, the man, the sin of the of of, of was rectified. Therefore, the Gemara says that they were nifsek zoyamoshel nachash, that the uh, the the zoyhamo of the snake, which means the Yitzhahara, right, ceased to influence the Jewish people. And what did that mean? Because Adamarishan, by his sin, right, uh, created a wherewithal with a certain the, uh, the Malach, the Satan, Satan, had the input of the physical universe. <coughs> and by do, going through what they did, they removed that influence of a satanic entity called a Satan, right? Which is a defilement that he can control the physical universe. They had removed that in a certain sense, and they were now like Adam reaching before the sin. Therefore, they were ready to receive the Mashiach. Because we know that the Mashiach comes after the removal or by the tikkun, by the rectification of repair of creation. And since they had done that, <coughs> so therefore that event of receiving the Torah was supposed to be messianic. 
If that's the case, then Moshe Rabbeinu was the Mashiach, which he was. He was really the Mashiach ben Yosef. And if that's the case, then where was the Messianic light? The answer is the Luchas Rishonis. Those first tablets that Moshe came down with or received, that was the Orishan or the Omashiach. In other words, that was the Torah that when you learned it, you would see the totality of all creation. Uh, Chazal allude to that when they say that if you looked at the tablets, right, you could look at it from one side and read it, but you would be able to read the second side simultaneously. And you didn't have to turn it over or whatever. Because the oration is a perception or a comprehension where you can see the totality immediately. Therefore, the Luchas Rishonis was the oration. That's really what it was. It was the messianic light. Okay? Because it makes all sense. If the Jews had done the Tikkun, which is the rectification of the creation, if they were now like Odom Rishon before the creation, therefore the Mashiach should have come, which he did. That was Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu should have revealed the Orishan, which is the Messianic light, which he was about to do. The problem was, of course, is the Chet Egel. <laughs> the Jews sinned at the golden calf, right? So what they did, therefore, is Moshe Rabbeinu, in consequence of that, had to destroy <coughs> the Luchas Rishonis, the first tablets, and he therefore gave them the second tablets, which means that the rectification of creation and now was foiled. And they had to start, in a certain sense, over again. Not totally, but in a, in a great measure, they had to start over again because they sinned. Uh, now, this is very interesting because you realize then, and this is what Aaron realized, a profound uh, concept. What he realized, that wait a minute, my problem, my, my despair, isn't that what, <coughs> is that I got the Jews to sin on a national level. Because I, I provided them the chet, the eagle, the calf, right? I, I created the calf for them. That's not why I'm sad. I'm sad because the Mashiach almost came. And I'm the one who contributed, right, to the impossibility of the Mashiach coming. Can you imagine what that is? <clears throat> you know? Let me hear something. Imagine you're doing a chet. You're about to do a chet, right? Right? And you did the chet. You, let's say you did a sin, right? And all of a sudden, a basco comes out and says, you know, Rabid, by the way, I want to just tell you what you just did. Well, you, because of what you did, the Mashiach would have come now, except your sin just halted the whole process. How would you feel? Right? Right? They'd have to scrape you off the floor. Crushed. Crushed. Pulverized is a better word, right? Demolished. Right? Broken. Shattered. And if you had the understanding of Aaron Akoyan, right? You know, you, you, you couldn't even scrape you off the floor. That's how bad you'd be crushed. Uh, this is what Aaron felt. That his sin of providing the Jewish people, Klai Yisrael, with the golden calf, right? Wasn't merely a sin, which was terrible. What it did is it prevented, you see, it prevented the Mashiach from coming. Bad news, you see. And he was absolutely crushed. And it, and it made sense. And he said, that's why the Bansham doesn't want to give me the, um, the, 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 the... That's why there's no Corbin, you see. But there was something else that he did. So we have got two, two bad news here, right? One is that he contributed, he gave him the golden calf, which was terrible. 
They worshipped it, right? The second thing he did was he foiled the ability of Moshe Rabbeinu to Mashiach. And when Moshe said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Lech raid. Lech, go raid. Go down. The Moshe should have said, Lech, go. Obviously, where are you going to go? He can't go up. He's on the mountain. He's going to go down. So what is raid? So Lech refers to the fact that, okay, go means it's over. Raid means go down from your ability to be the Mashiach. You see, that's why you have two Lashonis there. You see, you can't be the Mashiach, Messiah. It's over with. Why? Because Kaiser just worshipped the golden calf, thereby preventing them totally from experiencing this incredible uh, uh, comprehension. <clears throat> but it's, remember what I told you a while back the Old Mashiach isn't just a comprehension. It comes with an incredible amount of kedusha, holiness, because that comprehension is together with an awesome amount of spirituality of holiness. And if you're not ready, it will kill you. Which, of course, is the whole thesis of why there's a whole hachona. What's happening today is really a hachona of Mashiach of the Orishan. <clears throat> but the second, so this, this first thing that Aaron did, he realized, was that because of him. Israel, Jewish people transgressed a terrible sin and it was national the second thing is it prevented Moshe Rabbeinu from being Mashiach ben Yosef the third thing it did it was a pagam in the Orishim what does that mean? it was a pagam in the Kabbalah of the Orishim uh, one of the important things that the Jewish people had to do at Hatmas and Torah was to accept the Torah you see that would have completed the rectification of creation, you see. So they accepted the Torah, Nasa Vinishma, didn't they? And it was an incredible acceptance because they said, Nasa, let us do first. And then they said, then we'll check it out and understand it. It was an incredible madrega, right? Madrega means, of course, level of, of accomplishment where they said, we accept the Torah, we will do it, even if we don't understand it, because that's how much we trust and love you. And then we'll, we'll, we'll read it, we'll try to understand, uh, you know, what it is and the rationale and so on. So that was an unbelievable acceptance, Kabbalah. You see, but Tosra says, so then the question is, there's a Medrash that says that God took the Har Sinai, mountain of Sinai, and he hovered it over the heads of the, the whole nation. And he said, if you don't accept the Torah, I will crush you. I will drop it and you, all of you will be crushed and be buried underneath the mountain. So Toysra says, what do you mean? It says Nasa Vinishma, that they accepted it with tremendous amount of love. And here it says that God compelled them to accept. So Toysra says that they accepted the written Torah, you see, but they did not accept the oral Torah. Okay? But not only the oral Torah, by doing the sin of the golden calf, what was the golden calf? The golden calf represented, or rather the cheto ego, represented the concept that besides God, God can be represented by an intermediary. Hey, wait a minute. There's no intermediary between God and the Jewish people. There's no intermediary between God and mankind. That concept of an intermediary is the concept of an avaydi zorah. You see? But <clears throat> which aspect of the Torah reveals the truth that there is no intermediary? And the answer is the Orishan. Because the Orishan is what? Is the ability to perceive that Enid Mavadai. Besides God, there is nothing else. You see. <clears throat> so by thinking that you can have an intermediary, of course.
course they didn't believe that the eagle was a god. It's nonsense. But they clearly believed that God could have an intermediary, somebody that could represent them, so to speak, and lead them. <clears throat> but that's false. That is a denial of the origin, which says there is no intermediary. When we pray in a shul, right, we pray to God. We don't pray to some intermediary, you know, and so on. Uh, so therefore, not only was there a defect in the reception of the Torah written, uh, I, I, excuse me, that was good, but there was a defect in the reception of the oral law, but there was a defect <coughs> in the reception of the oration. You see, bad news. So uh, what God did, and I'm not going to go into Purim obviously, is Purim was a setup to rectify the defect, the Pagam, in the refusal of Israel to accept the Torah, oral Torah. But wait a minute. What about the Orishim? What about this, this Torah at a level of Primius? You see, what about that? That remained defected, even with Purim, rectifying the refusal or the rejection of the oral law. So what did Barsham do? And that's how we begin to understand. <coughs> you see, <coughs> so when the Barsham told Aaron Akayim, well, your descendant, you will have a descendant, Matasur, Kohen God, right? And he will actually do what? He will restore the Menorah, right? What God is really saying, he will rectify the fact that the Jews rejected the, the, the uh, Messianic light. He will rectify that. So therefore, and that was really the critical thing that Aaron was in despair. Not just that there's a chet, you know, and not just also, you know, um, uh, but the, the critical idea, and, uh, um, and therefore the Mashiach didn't come, but that he would rectify the rejection of the Orishan, that they never really accepted that concept, that God is Enid Mavadoi, there is no intermediary. And the Rabbi told Aaron Akron, nope, don't worry about that. It will happen where there will be a correction or rectification of that mistake. And not only that, your descendant will do that, be responsible. So therefore Aaron obviously, wow. You know, so he felt, you know, obviously it was incredible. And so on the way he felt. So therefore we now realize uh, that the primary event to bring the Mashiach and to reveal the Messianic light is Matan Torah. The giving of the Torah. But wait a minute. They failed. They received the, they accepted the written law. But the oral law they didn't accept. So the, the God had to provide a secondary historical event. That was Purim. It's another shear. But he had to also create a historical event whereby they would accept with love or with, uh, with totality and so on the messianic light. What event was that? That's Hanukkah. The question is, what does Hanukkah have to do with this? You see. Everybody got that so far? We now have the background information in order to understand Hanukkah. In other words, there's a problem now. <clears throat> the Bershom has to create a secondary historical event whereby this will be corrected. Because that is the spiritual necessity 
that the Jews have to do. How does Hanukkah fit the bill? The answer to that is Greece. What does Greece have to do with this? Let's go back to the beginning of Bracious. It says, it says, Bracious Borakim is a Shemaim Vesorach. God created the earth, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was soyu, unformed, right? Voyu uh, is empty. Choyshech is darkness. And uh, and tahoim, uh, the waters on the face of the, there was darkness in, in the midst of the dark. There was, um, there was, um, <clears throat> the spirit of God hovered in the midst of the darkness, right? And then God said, let there be light where the darkness was dispelled. Now, the Medrash says that each one of these four terms, toyu, voyu, choyshech, and tohoim, toyu, which means unformed, voyu means empty, choyshech is darkness, and tohoim means the great abyss, refers to the four kingdoms that will enslave or persecute or subjugate the Jewish people. <coughs> now, let's zero in on the third, choyshech, darkness. Darkness... So what, what are the four nations? We have what? We have Babylon, we have Persia, we have Greece and Rome. So Toyu refers to who? It refers to Babylon, Bovel, <coughs> right? Voyu refers to Persia. Choyshech, darkness, refers to Greece. And Tahoim, the abyss, refers to Rome. Now, there's something that doesn't add up here. Greece, I don't care what you call these guys, you know, I mean, they're secular and all that, but you can never call them darkness. I mean, I, that, that doesn't make any sense. Like I say, Greece is responsible for the modernization of the entire planet. That's really who did it, Alexander the Great. Tremendous chokhmah that came out of Greece. But how could you call them darkness? That's the question. And the idea is that, wait a minute, what darkness is this? Because it says, and God said, let there be light. But we know that the light that Bansham said, let there be light, is the messianic light, which you could see a totality of reality. <clears throat> Therefore, the, when you didn't have that light, right? When you had uh, what was before the light, that symbolic, it has to refer, right, to a, what's called a Weltanschauung, a understanding right that the real principles of the universe is not God or spirituality it's physics it's physicality it's Teva it's nature right it's nature nature is responsible for everything whatever nature is right it's not spirituality at all and that is the ide ideology of the Greeks what the Greeks maintain and this is really their contribution uh, and one side it was an incredible contribution and the other side it was terrible for Judaism you see what the Greeks maintain is that the principles the fundamental forces the fundamental structure of the cre creation isn't spiritual it is physical it is science you see this is the fundamental structure of the creation its nature you see and not only that but what they were machadish also, what they innovated, which is incredible, is that you need to look for those principles. 
That's exactly what science does. It looks for the fundamental understanding, the foundations of the physical universe. Where does it look for it? In the physical universe itself. Teva is the name of the game, you see. So therefore, that is what Greeks propose. You see, now, on one side, what they said was incredible. That, forget about all the millions of phenomenon, the phenomena that you see. It's all connected by simple principles, which is what the beauty of science is. And that was an incredible chiddush, you see, that nobody ever knew before. Everybody thought that all events, they're, not, they're disconnected, right? Or discrete. But, but Greek, Greeks, the Greek scientists came along and said, no, everything is united, but under physical laws. You need to look for the commonality between all events, you see phenomena and you will understand not only what the event is but how to predict them and how to manipulate them that's the incredible contribution that Greece made but there's a mistake here what's the mistake uh, because the purpose of understanding the physical universe is to understand the spiritual universe you notice it says a postic by Noach right it says yaft elokim es yefes right the God will enlarge Yefes, which is really Europe and so on. But the Yishkoin, they must dwell be all a shame in the tents of Shem. What's that mean? What it means is that what Yaft is beauty, Ferris, uh, that uh, Europe and well, especially Greeks will come out with beautiful stuff. But it, the beautiful stuff that they come out with, which is an understanding of the nature, the true nature and fundamental understanding of creation, right? Uh, that has to be within the confines or within the boundaries of spirituality. Shem. And it has to be within the tent of Shem, which is within the belief system of Shem. You see? And therefore, uh, what, when the Greeks came out with a system, right, where they divorced themselves from Ruchnia's spirituality, and all they said was what? Uh, hey, the universe is its nature, its physical laws, its physical principles. Forget about it. God, forget about Ruchnius, right? Well, that, that doesn't exist. Uh, you see, <clears throat> you want to understand the planet, the earth, the universe, physics, chemistry, biology. And it's true. But what they did is they cut off the connection between that understanding and the whole Jewish belief and understanding that everything emanates from the spiritual worlds, the Alamas, and that emanates from God Himself, and it's all Enoid Mavadoi, everything emanates. They just cut it out. Uh, therefore, the Torah describes them as Choshech, darkness, in contrast to Or, which is the Messianic light, which is a complete perception of the total reality. See how eminently logical that is? Therefore, what Greece fundamentally did <clears throat> is they introduced an alternate way of looking at reality. That's what they did. And they said, you want to look at reality? You want to understand reality? Forget religion. It's irrelevant. Just look at, study the universe itself. Science. Technology. That's all that's important. That's all that really exists. Uh, so what did Ransham do? Now that's beautiful. Because the Greeks then held the exact opposite view then Judaism, you see, it's beautiful. So here's what the Baruch does, which is incredible. Ah, you know, he waits till 
you have Babylon, Persia, fine. Now all of a sudden, he elevates Alexander the Great. This guy was incredible. <clears throat> this guy died when he was 33 years old. He had conquered the entire world by the time he was 33. You know, <clears throat> how many people go around in this world at 33 year olds, they haven't forget it, they, they don't even know what they're doing in life. And this guy had conquered the entire world and not only Hellenized everything, <clears throat> he goes down in history as the guy who conquered Persia. And Persia was the greatest in the empire before, before Greece. But <clears throat> Alexander conquered the world, but more than that, he brought to the world a whole different way of looking at the world. Chochmah, you see. So what the Baruch did is he elevated him. And he gave him incredible success. Why? To Hellenize the entire world. Which is to modernize the entire world. Uh, but what he also made sure is that Alexander would conquer Judea. And try to Hellenize Judea. Uh-oh. Uh, but wait a minute. That means there's now going to be a clash between the philosophy, the ideology, and the belief system of Greece, which is an alternate reality than Judaism, and the Jewish people. <clears throat> but that system, which is called Choshech, is the exact opposite of the Orishim, the Messianic light. So therefore, the Jews now are an incredible Nisoyim. What a historical contest. Will the Jews reject the Greek belief? Therefore, they will reaffirm the messianic light uh, that it is spirituality that is behind everything. It's true that you could study science and that is the basis of the physical universe. But that is not the ultimate basis. The ultimate basis, of course, is the messianic light, is spirituality, and of course, the ultimate of that is God, the Rabbanu Shalom, ain't And there you are, this is the battle. Will the Jews reject or not? Now many Jews, what's called Misyavnim, they accepted the Greek. You know, the Greek, you have to remember that, you know, what the Greeks offered was very attractive. You know, <clears throat> and so on. <clears throat> but fundamentally, Matesio Koen he got up, and he said, no way, he cries crazy. So he rejected it, and not only that, but he went to war with these guys. And the truth is, that, that's incredible. Uh, that he went to war. So Matasioi Kohen Gadol rejected the Greek ideology, and that's really what the whole contest was, okay, thereby rectifying the Messianic light. And he brought it to Klai Yisrael, and ultimately Klai Yisrael did what? They accepted it, you see. And what did Matasioi do? He fought them. And what did he say? What was, it was two belief systems that clashed. That's really what Hanukkah is all about. Is the world run by Teva, nature? <clears throat> and it has nothing to do with religion. In fact, there is no religion. Or is the world run by God and all the spiritual structure that he has? And therefore, the real study that a person has to do, okay, is understand this and therefore <clears throat> worship the Rabbanu Shalom and so on. <clears throat> and this was the contest and the Jews succeeded. Now, <clears throat> <clears throat> what the Bansham did then was an incredible thing, you see. Because the Jews succeeded, and therefore they brought a tikkun to the Orishan, to the Messianic light. That was the tikkun. So the whole miracle of Hanukkah really is what? Is a tikkun for the rejection of the Orishan or the Messianic light, the Or Mashiach. 
That was, so it was a secondary historical event that did it. Now, what's interesting is this, is that the truth is that how in the world did the Jews win this war? They, the historians estimate that there was only about 10,000 Jews that fought the Greeks. Yeah, but the Greeks had a massive army, you know. What was the army? The army had a, over 110,000 warriors. These guys were battle-hardened. These guys weren't regular guys. These guys had fought their way to Judea. They were experts. Yet the Bernstein did that. He allowed the Jews to have a victory over the Greeks, which was unheard of. But why? Because imagine if you had walked over to a general, right, of the Greeks, and you said to him, well, you know, the Jews are going to fight you. They only got 10,000 guys. You think they'll win? What would the general have said? What, are you crazy? No way. The Jews are not fighters. And not only that, 10,000 battle-hardened guys. Right? That's what he would have said. And he would have been right. <clears throat> According to the Greek philosophy, that you have to look at military strategies. I mean, if you look at military history, this is what happens. You know? <clears throat> but since the Jews had fought, and that's one of the Nisim, and what was the whole purpose of the fight is to declare that God runs history, not man. Well, if God runs history, it's no big deal for him to give the victory to the Jews. So it's Mida Keneged Mida. It's not that God gave victory to the Jews. It was a Mida Keneged Mida, a measure for measure. <clears throat> Since you believe that I am the one that controls the events of history, right? <clears throat> and therefore, to me, I don't care who you are, and I don't care what they are. If I, if I want, I can give the victory to 10,000 people, right? And uh, take away the victory, the, bring defeat to 100,000, 110,000 army. That's measure for measure. What you think about is incredible. Okay? So that explains the victory and why Aaron had, why he was resurrected, so to speak, rejuvenated. Because he realized that the messianic light that he uh, contributed to its defeat, one of his descendants would now bring it back. But now here's the problem. Nobody realized what happened. What happened? There was a tikkun of the Omashiach. There was a rectification of the defect that Kleinsville did in receiving the Torah. They didn't know what they did, right? They don't know. So Bonsham said, right? So you gotta send them what? You gotta send them a telegram, right? But the problem was there was no, um, not Western, who's the telegram? Uh, Western Union. There was no Western Union in those days. This presented a mighty problem. So what the Bonsham obviously said is, I don't need Western Union. Here's what I'll do. <coughs> I will take the very keli, the vessel, that represents the messianic light in the Mishkan, in the Beis Amikdash, which is the menorah, and I will allow the Jews to rekindle that menorah. The, now, if that represents the messianic light, the chokhm of the Or Mashiach, right? So, if I allow them to rekindle that, they will immediately realize, what a, wait a minute, that means we rekindled or the tikkun of the Omashiach. You see, so the concept of the menorah is really how the Bosham communicated to Klai Yisrael what the effect was of the war. You see, so what the Bosham did, <coughs> he caused it to be one vial, okay, and 
um, the, 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 of course, the Jews sent away, and then they came back and so on, and it burned for eight days. So what the Jews realized is that <coughs> the menorah which symbolized the messianic light, the seven-branch candelabra, which represents the seven spheres, okay, whatever, that the chokhmah, the wisdom of the spheres, which is the entire universe, and so on, the entire chokhmah of the entire creation, unless you get the uh, uh, Bina, which is the uh, wisdom of, uh, of Ulam Haba and so on. But in any case, you have, uh, the Minerva represents symbolically the Messianic light. So they realized, the Chazal realized that if, we, if there's a miracle in this particular vessel, component of the Beis HaMikdash, that means that we had to have done an incredible tikkun in the menorah, in the messianic light. And that's why the menorah lighting became the fundamental mitzvah of Hanukkah. You see. <clears throat> Once you understand this, you understand many things about Hanukkah. Okay, <clears throat> but what was the problem? The problem was this, is that the Jews had succeeded. In other words, if you had walked over to a scientist and said, wait a minute, we have one vial of oil but it's going to take eight days to get the rest. You think we should light this and it'll burn eight days? So the guy would have said, are you crazy? One day is of oil, one day of oil will only burn one day. But if you asked, you know, but according to the old messianic light, then what gives the properties of nature or the physical universe to do what it does? It is God. It's not physics. The whole physics is dependent on the Bershom. You see? So if he wants, he can make one day of oil burn eight days. No problem for him. So that again is the Midah Kenegid Midah. Because the Jews in the victory, measure for measure, because the Jews by fighting the Greeks <clears throat> believed that it is God who controls not only human events, but physical events, nature, right? The laws of the universe. Therefore, <clears throat> God said, measure for measure, I will allow one day's worth of oil to burn for eight days. Because you believe it is I that causes this. Not the physical laws of nature, nature which is what the Greeks say. And there's a famous story of Yochanan Mendoza, uh, where it was an Arab Shabbos, and uh, the daughter came over to him and she said, you know, we only have vinegar, we don't have any oil, we ran out of oil. Uh, so he said to her, well, what's the problem? Well, I can't burn vinegar. You put in the, you know, we need to have Shabbos lights. I put in vinegar, it's not going to burn. So Rab Hanina Mendoza said, well, what's the problem? What do you mean, what's the problem? It's not going to burn. So he said, well, you understand something. Oil doesn't burn because there's something inherent in the oil. You know, oil burns combustible because that's the command of God. Yeah, there's a physics behind it, whatever the shape of the molecules or whatever. But in the end, why should this shape of the molecule mean that it's combustible? Who cares? Scientists don't know the ultimate reason. They can just identify what seems to be uh, an indicator. <clears throat> well, if a molecule is shaped this way, it's going to be combustible. And if not, not. Uh, but wait a minute. Why is it in the shape of this molecule it'll burn? Nobody knows why. Uh, so he said, the fact that it, if the molecule is shaped this way and is combustible, that's the order of God. And therefore the vinegar will burn. And guess what? She put the vinegar in and it burnt the whole Shabbos. It didn't even go out. 
And by the way, he duplicated the whole nest of Hanukkah. You know, it's not just that one day burnt one day, and instead it burnt eight days. He got something that didn't even burn to burn the whole Shabbos. You know, I mean, that was really the nest of Hanukkah. That's just who Hanina Mendoza was. And anyway, uh, but anyway, in any case, <clears throat> so therefore they did that, and therefore even the menorah was a measure for measure. I'm trying to show you the connection. Why so did the, you burn eight days? Let the, you could show the same. Wait, 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 you gotta wait. Wait, 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 we gotta wait. Patience, said the doctor. I need more. Anyway, um, here, but here was the problem. What was the problem? The problem was this is that <clears throat> this meant. This was an attempt to bring the Mashiach, what's called Achishena. Because the Jews can bring the Mashiach through merit, you see. Or the Mashiach comes at the end time. You know, the Mashiach must come, must come. There's a time when he must come. But hopefully, Christ will bring him through merit. The problem was, is that the war with the Greeks and the whole concept of Hanukkah was that it brought the whole concept of Mashiach through merit. Because the end time. That would mean that they have to be perfect. If anything goes awry or wrong, it won't come. So what happened? Uh, the problem was the Hashmanoim, who was the family, of course, of Matesioi Kohen Gadol, the Maccabee of all the Maccabees. Uh, what they should have done is they should have relinquished, right? They should have relinquished the control and the kingship of Israel. But they didn't. They didn't. They refused to allow somebody from the tribe of Yehuda, you see, Dovod HaMelech, to be a king. But it's forbidden, because it says, shevet me Yehuda, that the only ones who can rule Israel as a king has to be a descendant, a Davidic, uh, and a descendant from the house of Dovod HaMelech. But a Hashmanoim, a Kohanim, you can't rule, and they never, and they refuse to get off the seat or the throne. So ultimately, the Rebbeim destroyed them. You know, uh, the last one he destroyed. You know, and uh, it's funny because uh, he had, he had, he married. Um, uh, who was the last one from the house of the Chashbenoim? I don't recall, but anyway, this person. Uh, um, anyway. Uh, anyway, so he was destroyed, and, and Herod took over, Hordes took over, and he married to, to gain legitimacy, because he was really the son of a Ger, Edomite, Ger. So in order to gain legitimacy, he married the last descendant of the Hashmanoim, you know, in order to gain legitimacy that he could be a ruler, you see the Hashmanoim, right, because he married the last descendant. Her name was Miriam, if I recall. Anyway, so she said, no way, and she went to the roof, threw herself off the roof, and she's, so therefore his wife committed suicide. So that took away his legitimacy. Didn't matter. But in order to make sure that everybody would think she's still alive in a certain way, he took her and he put her in honey to preserve her body. Maybe that's why people, some men call their wives honey. But anyway. Uh, but the chet was that he should never, the Hashemunim should have uh, relinquished the throne. They didn't. So what that did is it destroyed the ability of the Mashiach to come. And I always wonder, because the, the, the wholeness of Hanukkah happened in approximately 165 or 164 BCE, because Alexander died in 33. 
And then his kingdom was split, Greece. Uh, the Greek Empire was split into four different generals. The one who took over the Judea was, of course, um, Antiochus Epiphanes. He took it over. And this whole Hanukkah event occurred in 165 BCE. It's a long time ago. And the interesting thing is that I find is that Rome fought with Carthage. Rome became a republic. They overthrew the Etruscans in 525 BCE and they became a republic. Rome. And Rome, uh, you know, began to grow. But there was another empire that grew simultaneous with Rome. And that was Carthage, which I think is, uh, I'm not sure, it's, uh, I think it's Tunisia. I think it was Tunisia, uh, North Africa, Carthage. <clears throat> and they fought three wars. They called the Punic Wars. Okay? And Rome fought them three times. One, two. And <clears throat> the third war was in one... 48 BCE, okay, and I always say to myself, and that was Rome, and once Rome destroyed Carthage, they destroyed, they utterly annihilated the whole empire of Carthage, uh, part, part of Carthage, if I recall correctly, was Attila the Hun, that's famous, we took a whole bunch of elephants over the Alps, but anyway, to, to it, that's all, you know, famous history and so on, uh, ancient history, <clears throat> uh, but uh, they utterly destroyed Carthage, <clears throat> you know, and therefore, Rome became the greatest empire, the superpower, and that gave them the ability to destroy Caius world, to, to, to destroy the temple, Besamikdash, you know. What was the determining factor? That they destroyed Carthage. But it's interesting. How did they do that? And I always believed that because Caius world, right, the, they never gave up the throne, so therefore the Rosham said, you don't want to give up the throne to a descendant of Dovid HaMelech, therefore... Mashiach cannot come because of that. The Hashemunoim prevented the coming of the Mashiach. And as a result of that, you will, uh, I, will, I will elevate Rome that will, of course, ultimately destroy you. And therefore, I will now create the, the possibility of having a fourth colors, which is called Rome, because they refused to bring the Mashiach under the Greek dominion. Anyway, it's interesting. And by the way, this answers the question, uh, which I might as well bring. Why is there no Masech to Hanukkah? Why is there no Maseches Hanukkah? Ever wonder? Every, every Yom Tov has a Maseches. Think about that. Which is uh, why Hanukkah doesn't. So what the Rebbe did, is he dispersed the laws of Hanukkah through the Mishnayas, and then Ravashi, it's in the Gemaras, and famous Gemara, of course, is uh, Gemara and Shabbos by Hanukkah, by Memadlikim. And the answer to that is, so you could think that, well, the reason why he did that, because he got revenge. These guys never gave, a Rebbe was a descendant from the house of David. And they never gave the throne back, so I'll get revenge on these guys. I'm not going to honor the Chashmanoim, right? Because Hanukkah is all about the Chashmanoim. I'm not going to honor them, I'm not going to have a Masechta, Maseches of Hanukkah. Of course, you still have to have the halachas, because then how do you observe it? But I'm not going to give them the honor of having a Maseches dedicated to Hanukkah. Because I get revenge. But the answer is no. It has nothing to do with revenge. The reason why is because the Hashmonoim, it's not that they didn't relinquish the throne, which is true. It's because by not relinquishing the throne, they destroyed an opportunity of the Mashiach to come as a merit. And therefore he said, I will not give them the Maseches, which is interesting. It answers that question of why. Because that, what they did is basically what Aaron HaKoyim did. That's why he had such a Chalisha. You know, because they destroyed Klai Israel because the Mashiach could have come. 
And because they we did not relinquish the throne and did not give it to somebody from the house of Dovid HaMelech, they destroyed that opportunity and therefore the Rebunshim created <coughs> the fourth Klippa or the fourth Ummah nation which is called Rome to become, uh, which is Esav, became Edom, Edom became Rome and of course Rome became Christianity and Christianity is Western civilization because that is Esav or that is Edom. That was a result of the failure to bring Mashiach after Hanukkah. Anyway, so therefore we now have a, a whole different understanding of what Hanukkah is. Um, and really this answers the questions that I asked. What is the premise of Hanukkah? The real premise of Hanukkah is to address the problem that, the Jew, that because of Arnakoin, they rejected the origin, the messianic light. And therefore they need a tikkun, they need a rectification of rejecting that part of the oral law. And therefore God set up a secondary event whereby that, uh, and that event of course is Hanukkah, which they did. Okay. Um, why are they, now, but here's the problem. Obviously there was not a full tikkun. Why? Because the Jew, like I say, Hashemunah refused to get off the seat of kingship. And therefore, therefore the Jews did not bring the Mashiach. And therefore the Orishan, the Messianic light, is not revealed. So what do we do? So that we now understand what the Chazal did. So they said, okay, the primary event, which was Matan Torah, giving of the Torah, failed. The secondary event, which is called Hanukkah, failed. So the Chazal said, okay, who's got to take up the, the battle? We do. So what they did is they created halochas, you see. And when we do the halochas, we complete the tikkun. That's what the mitzvahs really are. When we light the menorah, you see, and we light it because of the miracle of Hanukkah, but especially because of what Hanukkah says, the belief of the messianic light, that there is God, He's the only Enoim of We actually complete the tikkun itself. It's done to the mitzvahs. And that is the secret of many halachas, you see, that happen either from the Torah or from the rabbis, the Chazal. You see? Now, if we understand that, we also understand the questions that I asked. We understand what the premise is to address the defect in receiving the Torah. Second question, why eight? Well, we know historically because it took eight days. But really, as the morale says, eight is a number which always indicates beyond Teva, beyond the natural order. Right? And since the whole essential idea of Hanukkah is the messianic light, the messianic light is beyond natural order. It reveals that what's behind natural order, a science, <coughs> is religion. It's the belief of one God, that everything emanates from Him. You see, that's why it's eight. Got it? Because eight is that number that reflects that. Why is it you can't benefit from the Hanukkah lights, but you can look at them, because the whole concept of those lives, those lives are, don't represent light, where you can benefit from the light, it's photons, where you could see something. Those lights represent a conception, a perception or comprehension, it's a hasaga, you see, of the messianic light, that God is behind everything. So therefore you can't benefit from that light, it's only there, it symbolizes a perception so you can't benefit from that. You see. Why is Hanukkah Hodor? It has to be uh, where you have to beautify it. 
Because the messianic light is the beautiest ferris of the whole chokhm of the Torah. So therefore the lights that represent the messianic light have to do that also. Let's see. How did Chazal know to make a Hanukkah? Because Chazal will make a, a Chazal will only a decree, make a takona to observe a holiday if it creates a new tikkun uh, rectification. When the Jews are persecuted and they're saved, there's no new tikkun that comes about. It's just a rectif. It's it's just a, the Jews were saved, but Hanukkah was a new or. It was a new rectification, right, that never happened before of the whole concept of the failed messianic attempt by Martin Torah. So Chazal said, since that is a new tikkun, we need to make a holiday and celebrate because that's a milestone in Jewish history. That's what they do, you see. <clears throat> and, um, and so on. What's important also to know, which is interesting, is that Hanukkah always falls out in Kislev, okay? And, ki and then also it falls out in Teves. <coughs> Half of Hanukkah is in Teves, always like that, right? Teves is the month of Esav, when he has a certain hashpah, a certain f uh, influence, Esav himself. The, the astrological, astrological, the astronomical, well, actually, the astronomical sign of Teves, also astrological, <coughs> is the goat, Seir, Capricorn, the goat. And a Seir is Harseir, represents Esav. Therefore, Hanukkah defies Esav. Interesting. And that's why the 25th day of Kislev is Hanukkah, and the 25th day of December, which always comes in Hanukkah, right, is Christmas, which is Edoim. Christianity took over the task of Rome, which became Western civilization. civilization. <coughs> so therefore, Christianity, which is the holiday celebrate, December 25th, right, always falls basically on Hanukkah. And they're both 25th, you see. In fact, what is interesting, which fits very well with the, my whole the thesis about Trump, right, is that he always comes in, right? Is as the first day of Hanukkah, the 25th of Kislev, which is on Saturday night, which is Shabbos, uh, is the first day of Christmas. And if you know that, December 25th, Christmas, is the same day as Hanukkah, the 25th day of Kislev. Because December, the dates of December correspond exactly to the dates of Kislev. If you remember that. Uh, therefore, it's interesting that the Hanukkah, which is the Tikkun, right? of the light, in many ways, of Esav, right, will happen on the same night as a total rejection of that theology or that belief system. Interesting. And it happens in the year, like I said, that Trump will matar edoim. Okay, you can add that or not. Anyway, um, but it's just interesting that they exactly coincide. Most of the time they don't. But the kind of concept of Hanukkah is to undo the, the, the uh, nation or the influence of Edom. You see, because Edom, remember, Edom, what's the relationship between Edom, Rome, and Greece? Remember, Rome took over the ideology of Greece and spread it, delivered it throughout the entire world. So really, Rome is the bearer of Greek civilization. 
Therefore, our contest is not just with Greece, it's with Rome. Not only as Rome itself, but the problem is Rome spread the ideology, okay, of, of, uh, of Greek culture throughout the world. So therefore, Hanukkah is always, always opposed to, uh, to uh, the uh, Roman ideology, which uh, of course ultimately is, is Christianity. You know? And then there's a couple of interesting Ramazim. Uh, if you take a look, if you count embracious, what's the, uh, one, or you count 25 words, the 25th word is Hanukkah. I mean not Hanukkah, what am I talking about? Is or. Yes? Count it. Or, so the or of the Torah, the remez of that, that will be 25, which is the 25th of Kislev. It's an interesting remez, you know, and so on. Also, the, 20, the 25th stop of the Jews in the Midbar was Chashmoino. Chashmoino. So if you look at the Oisios of Chashmoino, you can spell Shemen Aleph Echod Ches Yoim. You know? Oh, it's a, oh, actually, yeah, is Shemen Echod, one light, means only enough light for one day, Chesyoim, it'll burn for eight. That's actually Marumas in the word Chashmenoim. Interesting. And the 25th stop was Chashmenoim. A lot of interesting, and then I'll tell you one, another remez, which is very interesting, because we, there's Dreidel, right? You pay Dreidel, and so on. I mean, interesting is how Dreidel originated and so on and so forth, you know. But really, when you pay Dreidel, you know, it turns round and round, which means that you're utterly confused about the belief system. Then it stops and says, nope, there's only one belief system, and that is Judaism, right? But if you look at the Oishos, Nun Gimel Heishim, what does that stand for? Nes Godel Hoyasham, right? A great miracle happened there, yes? And Nun Gimel Heishin, the Gematria is 358, which is Gematria Mashiach. So I once gave a shir, this Hanukkah shir, you know, some guy walks over to me in Israeli, right? And he says, wait a minute, uh, not so fast, right? In Israel, we don't say Sham, we say Po. Nes Godel Hoya Po, a great miracle happened, Po here, right? And that's where it happened. Then what do you got to say about that, right? And I looked at the guy, but... I have to tell you, the Rebbe was kind to me. I instantly had the answer. It was incredible how quick I had the answer. And it was just like, you know. I said, wait a minute. <clears throat> What's the gematria of Nun Gimel Hei Pei? 138. 138 is the same gematria as Semach. Es Semach David. Right? That's Mashiach. Who is the offspring of David? <coughs> it's not referring to David. <coughs> it's Mashiach. So Tzemach is Gematria Mashiach, Tzemach, and therefore Nes Godel Hoyapo, Nun Gimel Heipei, is also Gematria Tzemach, which is the Mashiach. I found it that was fascinating, you know. God was kind to me, what can I tell you, you know. But anyway, so therefore we see there's a lot of ideas and Ramazim and so on and so forth. But the critical idea is is what Hanukkah really represents. And it is our job to complete the tikkun, to rectify. But what's the essential rectification? Is that the Orishim, or the Omashiach, right? That the Jews had a defect in receiving, accepting that belief of Torah. 
that behind science and the whole physical universe, there are the spiritual universes. But behind that, everything emanates from God. You see, and that's something that we continue to believe in and we continue to do by having the lights of Hanukkah. And that's why you can't benefit from them. You have to look at them. And um, this then is why Arnakoyan was uplifted. He says, what's well, great? Because I caused the, the terrible failure of the Mashiach to come, which is Moshe Rabbeinu, right? But one of my descendants will rectify that. And that's what the Barashim told him. Don't worry, you know, I realized that you did tremendous tshuva, which obviously he did, you know, and therefore I will give you a chance through your descendant to undo that, the damage that you've done. And Aaron was incredibly uplifted, you see. So it's interesting, the whole base of Mikdash is destroyed, right? Yet the Menorah lasts and it's a token to Aaron to continue that process, you know. So therefore we now have an understanding, and I've gone through the questions, many ideas uh, of what Hanukkah is. And therefore we understand the fundamental model that there are spiritual necessities that Klai Yisrael has to do on an individual level and on a national level. And usually what happens is the spiritual task that Jews have to do is done through what's called the historical event, the primary. But what happens if they fail? Then there's a secondary event. And therefore, Hanukkah was a secondary event, and so was Purim, by the way. And if they fail on that, then we complete the event through the mitzvahs itself. And that's why every mitzvah, if you ever want to know the premise of a Yom Tov, of a holiday, just look at the mitzvah, because that mitzvah has to come out, emerge from the necessity of that idea, of that, the premise of the day, the true meaning of the holiday. And now we understand why you say Hallel and not eat. Because on Purim, of course, we know Haman wanted to destroy the Jews physically, right? So therefore we have a Suda, which is a physical, not only are we not dead, we're eating and celebrating. So the physical Suda is a refutation of death that Haman wanted to decree. But Hallel, we give thanks is what is a ref- is is a spiritual recognition right we praise god for the incredible hasaga the rectification of the messianic light and therefore there was no i mean the greeks didn't want to kill the jews that was not on their mind they just wanted to ch- alter their belief system you see and therefore we say halal as thanks right because the benefit or the task that the Jews fulfilled is spiritual, not physical, and therefore we give thanks to Hallel, because they have to give thanks in some way. So we do it through Hallel. In any case, this idea of what Hanukkah really is uh, answers really all the questions, and, uh, and, and, and what's important is that this model can be used for every other Yom Tov, and every Yom Tov has a whole shear, which I give, connected. Uh, so this is really what the premise of Hanukkah is. Okay, mm-hmm. next week is Hanukkah, but I asked the people, do you want to shear? Because the, uh, the, what happens in Hanukkah is always a party, you know, everybody, it's family time. It's like the Jewish Thanksgiving, you know, where everybody gets together, which is really tremendous, you know, because uh, it's all Persume Niso, obviously, and so on, you know. Uh, so uh, the second Shabbos, there won't be a shear, because I'm having a party. In that sense, you know. 
Um, and none of you are invited. No, I'm joking. Because I give shit that. But um, except, of course, if you bring the latkes. But anyway, um, uh, next week, you guys want to share? I mean, what's the story here? I, I, I don't know. You know, maybe some guys can't do it because they have. That's when they have their masiba. Yes, is the NCS? Okay, so next week uh, we'll return and I go back to Derek Hashem and probably a couple ideas about Trump. But I want to say one thing about Trump, by the way, because <laughs> I, I, you have no idea what's going on out there. It's, it's astounding what is happening. But I'll tell you, one, one has to look at this and, and be astounded by the power of God. You have no idea what he destroyed. One, he destroyed Obama. One. Because the, the, the legacy of Obama is finished. You know, I have to tell you, I, uh, the, the, I heard the radio for a minute, and there was a guy, so one, one of the guys asked the guy, Newt Gingrich, very bright guy, you know, so he said to him, he said, I understand, how will anybody know that Obama was ever president? Because Trump is going to undo the whole, everything he did. So Gingrich said, Gvaldiga thing. He said, and he was right. Uh, the guy who asked him, how do we know? Because uh, he's going to undo everything that, Trump, uh, that Obama did. So we'll never know unless we read the textbooks that uh, Obama was the uh, 44th president. So he answered Gvaldiga. He said like this. He said, well, I'll tell you something. In the White House, the tradition is that every president has a picture. On the, you know? So we'll know that Obama was the 44th president because there's a picture of him there. But that's it. That's how we'll know. I, you know, just incredible. But uh, So he destroyed Obama. He destroyed Clinton, Hillary Clinton, right? He destroyed the Democratic Party, the liberals, those had, that had defiled ethics and morality and permissiveness. He destroyed them. He destroyed all the liberals, those guys who follow that cheetah, you see? And they're all going wild. They don't know what to do with themselves. They're in complete denial, and he also destroyed the media, because Trump doesn't even body, bother with the media. He tweets directly to the American people. What the motion did is he destroyed the anti-Torah party. That's what he did. In one shot, <clears throat> and really what you're looking at is a complete mahapecha. You don't realize it, it's not just Trump won. It's a mahapecha on an anti-Torah party at every level. That is messianic. That's what he did. And I wanted to emphasize that. We're not talking about the election of a man. We're talking about the overthrow, the dissolution, the annihilation of an, a party which is anti-Torah because they, they, they are terrible in terms of the permissiveness and all the other stuff that they do, the way they govern and all that, of, of what they've done to the ethics and morality of, 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 of religion uh, and, and so on. And Hillary, whatever, she would have appointed a new Supreme Court guy, would have been a liberal, and that would have meant terrible nonsense for uh, religion in general across the United States. And the bunch of them just knocked them out in one shot. I uh, just showed that I, I, you have to say that because you have to makadah shem shamayim. You need to know when God does something. I mean, he does something every instant. But you need to be able to look at an event and say, right, this can only be from the Bershom. And that's really what happened. It's a Kiddush Hashem, what he did. And it's just beyond belief how in one shot he knocked out five different enemy contenders of the Jewish people. You see. 
And this is truly messianic. And we uh, just await. So I had to say that, you know, forgive me. It's an addendum to Hanukkah. But actually, it is really Hanukkah because my feeling is that what you're really looking at is not Achishana, is Bi'itoi. I feel that we have arrived at the end, which means that the Mashiach will come shortly. And this is the beginning, as I said, of the Tahar of Edoim. It is the purification of Esau, Edoim, Rome, Christianity, and Western civilization. And that is uh, the Toiv Shebe Esau. And hopefully we'll see the Mashiach maybe before Hanukkah. Thank you. Okay. I just want to say one thing, which I, you know, oh. I just want to say one thing, uh, which was a thought that I have, is that Monday, December 19th, which is Yutes Kislev, by the way, I don't know if you realize that, a lot of very important things with Lubavitch and, you know, Balatanya and so on, happened, I think the Mizritch Magad's Yotzite, somebody told me, and so on, whatever, but Yutes, uh, this December 19th, which is Yutes Kislev, is very critical, I feel, why? Because that is the day that the Electoral College would get together, vote for Trump, and he will be legally the president-elect. And that... That's he wasn't yet? No, no. That's what, yeah, you need the Electoral College to second it. That's why everybody's wanting to vote, because they can hop around, as they say. Yeah, your test is Yom Toiv, exactly, right? But you don't realize what that means. That means on Monday, when they officially, that means it's legally and constitutionally binding which means you cannot overthrow the guy it's over with you know you know recounts it doesn't make a difference anyway he it even failed on the recount which is incredible you know but th that itself has to be a tremendous milestone in this whole messianic process so let's see what happens after they, december they 19th on the recount the recount what? showed more that more show. yeah yeah with, with you know and so on i mean you know so she came out having egg on her face, Jill Stein. But anyway, the main idea is that, so therefore, that, that is not stum. The fact that he will become legally the president-elect of the United States is very significant because that's a significant step in the whole messianic approach, which I believe has now uh, started with the election of Trump, which is the whole purification of the Toif Shebe as I mentioned, and tighten your seatbelts. Thank you. Yeah.